And as Pastor Guy mentioned, we're going to be wrapping up our message series today that has had five parts. We've been in it for multiple weeks, obviously, because there has been some uh, back and forth in the campuses with this particular message series. But I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like these mixed emotions today, Jess. I'm, one, very excited for this last message that I've been waiting till the end to do, uh, but I'm also really kind of sad. Um, maybe we just should go back through and preach it again. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so let's go once more to where we've been at the beginning of every part of this series in Mark chapter 16. And we have opened with the reading of text from Mark's account of what we call theologically the Great Commission. It's the final words of Jesus' moment before he ascends to be back at the right hand of the Father, you could say it this way, it's the tasking and commissioning that Jesus is giving to the church and that we would say, and I've been saying, that we are responsible for carrying out throughout all of the generations until Jesus returns. These are things that God has called his church to do. Also, make sure that we point out These are things that require the anointing and empowerment of God's Holy Spirit in order to carry them out. We cannot do in natural human strength or ability any of these things that Jesus listed out that he's asking us to do. So when you read Luke's version of the Great Commission, he says, Jesus told them to go and wait in the city for the endowment of power from on high, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit given to men as a gift is there to assist us, empower, and enable us to do supernatural things that we could not do on our own. There is a partnership or co-laboring effort between us and God. He does the miraculous part, but he asks us to participate in the work that he wants to do. Does that make sense? So let's read in Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. And then he gives these signs. In my name they will cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, amen. So we just kind of went through in those verses many of the places that we've been in these five weeks. Just to remind you, we started with evangelism is supernatural or sharing the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. We are all called to share the good news. 
Blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news of the gospel. It's not just evangelists that evangelize. Every believer is called to share the good news. Are you with me? And that is the foundation of all supernatural works. They spring forth from that. We just read that it said those who believe will do these things, right? So it's in our relationship with Jesus that the Holy Spirit given to us enables us to carry these things out. Then we talked about uh, casting out demons is supernatural. And we discussed how it's so important that we know we have authority to cast and break down the works of darkness in people's lives so that they can be set free. That demonic spirits are real and that they can enter into people's lives and create a form of bondage or prison and and limit or marginalize the fullness of freedom that Jesus intends for us to have. In order to have a a community of people who are living free and walking out freedom, we must contend for and exercise one of these things Jesus says to break off demonic spirits whenever they are uh, attached to people's lives. Then we talked about healing is supernatural. We went through physical healing, we went through inner healing, and then we went through, of course, spiritual healing, which is salvation. And how that's part of the work that Jesus comes to do. He came to heal the broken hearted. We're going through Kairos groups right now. A deep dive into inner healing from past wounds. And it's really peeling some things open. And I know people are experiencing freedom in greater levels than they've ever experienced before. Then we went to discipleship. Matthew's version of the Great Commission. He says, you're to make disciples of all of the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so we discussed how spiritual growth and maturity is a part of a healthy body or congregation, that we don't want to be spiritual adolescents our entire lives, but we're responsible for growing mature in our faith, right? Very, very important, and that's a supernatural work. Jesus is building and increasing the spirit man in us as we seek and pursue that. Today, part five, as we close out, we are going to talk about praying in tongues is supernatural. Praying in tongues is supernatural. Now, I am very aware that for whatever particular reason, this subject, probably more than any other, makes the most amount of people the most uncomfortable. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Because we're going there, all right? We are going there. But what I want to tell you today, church, as we open up is this. Jesus wants you to have an on-fire prayer life. Prayer is something we get to do. It's not something we have to do. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. I sure have. The Bible, first of all, it says God knows what we are in need of before we ask. Have you ever thought like, well, then what's the point? You know, just give it to me, right? 
But then it also, that's why you got to read the whole Bible. If you just took that, that verse and built your theology on that, you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? Because you can read many other places, but especially in James, he says, uh, you have not because you ask not. You, have, you don't have things in your life because you're not praying for them, right? Prayer is something we get to do, not something we have to do. When we understand the power of effective prayer, we get to a place where we grow and build an on-fire prayer life and we begin to see how effective our prayer life is at God bringing things to pass that he wants to do in and through our lives. Very, very important. And I just want to tell you that this subject matter today, praying in tongues, as far as I'm concerned, is it has great implication on the effectiveness of any believer's prayer life, that it has great implication on that. All right. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll move on. Father, in Jesus name. We just ask you to speak to us clearly today, God. Help us to see and hear the things you want us to see and hear according to your word and according to your truth. Bring it forth like a sword, God. It just penetrates right into the division of joint and marrow, the separation of soul and spirit. And we ask you, God, to just speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. I say in Jesus' name, we come against any kind of bad, twisted, distorted, confusing, deceptive doctrine or preconceived ideas or religion in people's minds that has maybe bound them or kept them from seeing the truth clearly according to your word today. God, we just declared that none of that is able to operate and afflict people's minds in this place today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So a few things that I would like to just establish. First of all, when you read in the Bible, you need to understand that there are certain phrases or statements, sometimes just individual words, but that are interchangeable, okay? They mean the same thing, just said different ways. For example, you can read about how there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You could also read it in another place, and it would be called the baptism of fire. You could read about it in another place, or depending on your translation, it might say the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You could read other places where it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them or came upon them. It all means the same thing, okay? When you read the statement or phrase praying in tongues, you can also read through the New Testament and you'll find this, praying in the Spirit or praying in the Holy Spirit or praying in the Holy Ghost. It all means the same thing. It's when someone is exercising a prayer language, Now, there are, as I've seen, different uh, camps that people kind of fall into with this particular topic. You have some folks who just wholesale reject it and the idea of it altogether. They want nothing to do with it, and they want nothing to do with anyone who has anything to do with it, okay? You have that camp. You have another camp, which is people who embrace it theologically I can't really argue with it. It's there. It's in scripture. I I know it's truth. I know it's real, but they want nothing to do with it personally, right? 
hey, that's okay for you, but not for me. You just kind of, you know, keep your space and keep your distance with me on that one. So they embrace it theologically, but want no part in it personally. Then you have people who embrace it theologically and also practice it personally, but very much in private. They don't want anybody to know about it that they do. Shh, don't tell anybody. I pray in tongues. Right? And then you have those who exercise it as it has been intended. Um, So let me just give you a few things to kind of be cautious not to do. All right? Number one, be cautious not to just quickly write this off as in, early apostolic thing that ended with the apostles. Uh, I don't have time to build this whole argument out, right? But I can just tell you, if you do that, you have to throw everything else out that we've been talking about. Because contextual exegesis requires you to stay true to everything that's in the context. So if I apply a certain method or a truth to one part of these verses that are together, I have to apply it to everything, okay? So if I throw out praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit, I have to throw out discipleship, I have to throw out evangelism, I have to throw out healing. Are you with me? So just be careful not to just disregard this as an early apostolic thing. Number two, be careful not to dismiss this as just a Pentecostal thing. But we do that, don't we? Oh, yeah, that's the, the Pentecostals do that. And we're referring to a certain denomination of Christianity and kind of getting the idea that that's for that particular denomination. Listen, I will tell you, I have friends who have, in all denominations, Baptist and anything else, who pray in tongues and do it often and absolutely love it and contend for it. I've done lots of research and read biographies on different you know, heroes of faith over the years and centuries. There are Catholic priests and nuns in their biographies that testify to praying in the Holy Spirit and casting out demons. Let me add that one on as well. So I would say it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a Bible thing, okay? So don't just dismiss it as Pentecostal. And then the last one, be careful not to claim it as weird, scary, or undignified. As this is, oh, that's just just kind of like almost looking down on anyone who believes that or who embraces that, all right? The Bible makes it clear that this particular gift is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has feelings. Did you know that? He can be grieved, right? So just let me ask you, how would you feel if you paid a precious price for a wonderful gift that you wanted to give to people whom whenever they heard about it, looked down on it, snubbed their nose at it, ridiculed it, and were very, very combative towards that. It would be very, very hurtful, would it not? Can I just suggest to you when people do that about the gift of tongues, I believe that's how it is affecting the Holy Spirit. There's, it's grievous because it's a gift. Why would he want it to be referred to that way, right? Um, so... Looking at the beginning of this, what you will find is 
the, the first account of praying in tongues happens in the book of Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost. They'd had Pentecost for, for years, right? It's just that was the day of that celebration, that festival, that, that week. And that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out that Jesus said, go and wait in the city until you receive this. They actually waited their 10 days. That's an awesome prayer meeting, by the way. Aren't you glad they weren't in a hurry to get out of there? They waited 10 days. They received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It came as a rushing and mighty wind. And a part of that story, you can read all of Acts chapter 2 to see this, is that there were tongues of fire that came down from heaven and rested upon each of them. And when that did happen, they began to pray in other tongues. Now, something about even that word, we say pray in tongues, I think trips people up mentally. Let me help you with that. It's a Greek word, glossae. You know what else you can say? Language. It's just a language. Now, that language can be earthly and it can be heavenly. I don't know if you knew that, but it just means language. So if I said they prayed in other languages, it wouldn't freak too many people out. But when we say pray in tongues, it gets people a little restless, right? They began to pray in other languages. Here's what was miraculous about that particular event. It's Pentecost. It's a festival. People are coming from every direction of the area and region for this festival, There are different languages that are represented in the city of Jerusalem. There are also different dialects of different languages represented. It's very widespread. Let me give you an example of different dialects of different languages. I have a friend who speaks English, but she speaks New York English. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just know, like immediately, like, oh, that's thick, that's heavy, that's English, but it's New York English. So there are different dialects and, and ways of saying things that are represented. And as the Holy Spirit began to move, these different people on the day of Pentecost began to pray and began to speak out in these other unknown languages that they had never learned before, And they're speaking, and the people who know those languages are hearing, and they hear them perfectly in their own language and in their own dialect, every single one of them that are represented there. More importantly, what's being spoken in the tongue is glorifying, honoring, and accomplishing the works of God and Jesus among them. Let me just remind you that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. They were declaring in different languages and all could hear. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? So what, what I would like to do is... Try to help us understand this topic that can be so off-putting sometimes to people because in most cases, I really believe this, they just don't have a true understanding of it according to Scripture. And I will say this, I'll take a skeptic any day. I have no problem with genuine skepticism. Because those types of people, I'm genuinely curious, I'm struggling with this, but if you can show me truth, if you can show me in the Word and explain it to me, that's all I'm really interested in. I just want truth. 
Praise God for genuine skeptics. I'll take it any day. It's the cynics that are hard to break through with because they're really not open. (laughs) They're combative, they're resistant, and they actually want confrontation. And there is no getting through. No matter how well you present the truth, they're already hardened to it ahead of time. Makes sense, the difference. And so I just, I really believe that the Bible speaks for itself. (laughs) I, I think we need teaching and preaching, but I really believe that if we can accurately break this down and, and, teach on it, then the people who are genuinely skeptical can have a much better understanding and maybe move the needle further a little bit more than where it was on the camp they were previously in before. That's a big part of my goal today, okay? So the first thing that we have to understand with praying in tongues is that there is a corporate function. I just have two points today, corporate function. We'll get to the next one, which is individual function, But many times people don't recognize that there's actually two different functions for this gift, and that's where it leads to some confusion, okay? Because the way it operates corporately is very different than the way it operates individually. So corporately, we would look at that example from Acts chapter 2, and we would see some of the things very uh, present that Paul lays down in Scripture are necessary for that gift to function corporately. One of the most important things that he says is if that gift is to function corporately, in this, this would be an example of corporate. We're coming together in a group together, and we're all worshiping. There needs to be order. There needs to be governance, all of those things, right? He says for it to function in that environment corporately, there is a need for an interpreter, which is another one of the gifts. So he gives t- nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There, are, there is knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, faith, healing, miracles, discernment of spirits, praying in tongues, interpretation of tongues. That particular example is the corporate application, which is why he says not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone prophesies their gifts given in different measure to function corporately in the body and in the environment. So if someone is to pray in an unknown tongue or a heavenly language or an unknown language in a corporate environment, it would be necessary and appropriate for there to also be the gift of interpretation So that, Paul makes it clear, the whole body can be edified together. Because if they're praying in an unknown tongue and there's not an interpreter, I mean, this makes, it's so simple, it just makes complete sense. Then no one really knows or understands what's being said, and it can't bring edification in the corporate environment. Stick to things that bring edification in the corporate environment, like prophecy and all of these other gifts. However, if there is an interpreter, then that actually can be given and there can be edification in the corporate body. So be careful that you don't forbid people to speak in tongues. Just make sure it's done in a proper way. I've seen it. I've seen it before where someone will get up and they'll have a, a word and they'll, they'll give it in an unknown tongue and then someone else will actually get up and they will interpret what's being said through that gift, and it always points to and glorifies and honors Jesus. And in that moment, you can just feel, for those who are hooked in in faith, the body is edified together by that. 
And so that's very much a real thing. But I will say this, that when it comes to the uh, pulpit or platform presence and gifts that are being presented to the body here at LCX, those gifts need to be tested and approved before we're just going to empower them in a corporate setting. You can have your own opinion on that. That's okay with me. But here, that's how we're going to approach it. You know, we've had people over the years that would have come in and been like, hey, uh, I'm here and I'm a prophet. I guess they thought I would be like, oh, well, come on up and prophesy, you know? No, you as a member of the congregation need to be able to trust that we have vetted and tested and seen these gifts in operation bearing fruit in smaller environments before we would ever put it in a platform situation or pulpit situation so that you can know, you can trust what's being poured out here. That's very important, and we're accountable for that. So that's the way that we approach that. But at the same time, let me just make sure I balance this by saying we are not opposed to those gifts or any of the gifts flowing and being in operation. In fact, we lean into them and we seek for those to happen among us, all right? So there's the, the corporate application, but it's important that there is understanding. When we're, he says, whenever, if people are all just like praying out in an unknown tongue and there is no interpretation, it's like a no- noisy gong. Nobody knows what's being said. You'd be better off to keep that one into yourself and and use it properly, right? Whenever the twins were babies, they were so cute. You're still cute today. But they were, Annalise is here with me. She's one of our twins. And they were babies, and we had those video baby monitors, you know those? There was a day where they didn't have those. It was just the audio. And, uh, And now they have the video ones. And I think we were on like the beginning, the first wave of those coming through. So we had the video monitor, Pastor Mike, in the baby room, and Annalise and Alyssa had cribs like alongside of each other. And so we'd tuck them in and we'd put them to bed, and then we'd go downstairs and you'd be listening, and all of a sudden, after about five minutes, the chatter would start up there, right? And then we would look at the video monitor and we would watch them, and it was the cutest thing. They were standing up in their cribs, facing each other, And they were just talking to each other. We had no idea what they were saying, but they knew exactly what they were saying to each other. They were talking baby. (laughs) And they would say something that one of them would say, and then the other one would start laughing and fall over in their crib and then get back up. So when there is, it's necessary for understanding so that we can be built up together. That's very important. Are you with me? But there is also, point number two that I want to get to, an individual function, which is different than a corporate function. And this is how the gift of tongues or the gift of praying in the Holy Spirit is intended to operate and flow in people's lives individually. It's actually meant and intended to take our prayer life to a new place of effectiveness And it's also intended to bring edification, strengthening, and growth into our individual spirit man. 
So there is an individual operation for this that's different from the corporate. And if we take what I just explained corporate and say that's all there is, then you miss the whole rest of what I'm about ready to say, which is very, very important in the life of a believer and if they want to have an on-fire prayer life. Okay, So let's read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul says, Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, now listen, this is very important, speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So it kind of has everything packaged up right there. Where you can see if there's not an interpreter, there's not corporate edification, but when they function in it individually, there is individual edification or building up of our own spirit man. Jude says it this way, Jude 1.20, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up or edifying or strengthening And then it also says in the King James Version, praying in the Holy Ghost or praying in tongues. So he says there is a a strengthening of your own spirit that happens when you do this. Now, I have a picture in my mind, and I don't know if this is going to seem weird to you or not, but this is how I've always viewed it since I learned about this early on in my walk, is I picture, you ever had a battery that needed to be charged? You ever charge a battery, right? You hook up the cables, and then the meter goes, and what's happening? Power is just being transferred and charging up that battery. When I'm praying in the spirit, it's much like that. My spirit man is being edified and strengthened, and I am very aware of that. There are other things that we do that build our spirit man up and strengthen us, but I just want to assure you, this is one element of that that God wants to give people as a gift to help with the spiritual inner man growth and development as they exercise their prayer language. You with me? We all love the armor of God, don't we? I mean, that's a pretty safe bet. You can get up at any service in any part of the country, any kind of audience and say, we're going to talk about the armor of God. Pretty safe bet that everybody's going to be pretty excited about that one. I mean, what's not to love about the armor of God, Pastor Guy, right? Put on the helmet of salvation. Gird yourself with the belt of truth. Shod your feet with the gospels of the sandals of peace. Clothe yourself with the breastplate of righteousness. Take on the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy and wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm getting fired up just telling you about it, right? By the way, you notice there's nothing on the back? We don't run in fear. God is our rear guard. That's free, just by the way, okay? (laughs) 
But let me show you something you may have never seen before in the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, let's start in verse 17. This is where he's continuing on with the explanation. He says, you'll take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Or Holy Spirit, or let me just insert it a different way, praying in tongues, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. It's very interesting, isn't it, that he adds this on to the description of the armor of God because it's a powerful weapon. It's because it's a powerful weapon. If it can edify and build my spirit man up, I mean, I don't know how you think about these things, but this is the way I've always thought about them. I don't care what people think. I want it. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me what anybody thinks. If God says it's good for me and he wants to give it to me and it can help me in this walk that's my primary objective in this life, then everything else is settled. Yes. What do I got to (laughs) do? Seek, pursue, pray, you know, all that from there. But that's just how I've always looked at this. But it also adds a real uh, just effective, potent element into our prayer life. Have you ever been praying before? I'll bet most people can relate to this. Have you ever been praying before and you've got your prayer list? Maybe it's on paper. Maybe it's in your head. All the people that you need to pray for, the things you're praying for, and you're just boom, boom, boom. I mean, you're going down the list and you know, you're watching the clock. I am trying to make sure I'm conscious of time. And then you get to the end of this thing, you get done and you feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of this thing. You ever feel that way before? Or you're like, you know, I just came to the end of myself. My natural language fails me now. My mind is spent. I'm just, I've poured it all out, but I feel like there's so much more that I want to give in this moment of prayer. When that happens, can I suggest this to you? That's where having a prayer language begins to kick in and take our prayer time to a new level of efficiency. Let's read in Romans 8, verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. Sounds a little bit like what I just described, doesn't it? The Spirit himself, that's the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered or understood. Now he, capital H, Holy Spirit, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for us, the saints, according to the will of God. So I just spent the last five parts of this message series teaching and explaining to us How the Holy Spirit wants to assist us in all kinds of supernatural things that we cannot do on our own, but when He does them through us, they produce a supernatural outcome. And I think for the most part, we've done a pretty good job working our way through and understanding how He does that. I'm telling you today that the Holy Spirit can and wants to assist us in our prayer life to make our prayer life more on fire and grow, go to greater levels of effectiveness and efficiency with God. And we just read about it right here. He says, the Spirit of God inside of us 
who knows the will of God perfectly, because he's God, and we don't, who knows how to pray, and we come to the end of ourselves, at a point will begin to intercede And with a partnership and a co-laboring collaboration, he will pray with us and will pray. It's like bullseye every time the will of God and you know you're hitting the mark. You don't understand everything that you're praying. He said, with mysteries, the spirit is praying through us. That's deep, right? But I mean, it's what he wants to do so that we pray. Paul says, I pray with the language of men and I pray with the language of angels. Folks, he's using them in tandem. They're like two sides of a blade on a sword that come together and take our prayer life to a new place. Uh, the Lord really convicted me a number of years ago. That, you know, folks that were uh, telling me about things that were going on in their life and Hey, would you pray for us on this? Would you pray for us on that? And I got, I realized one day the Lord just convicted me. Like I very just casually would say, oh, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And one day the Lord was like, will you? Ooh, I didn't think about that one. You know, I, it was just like something that you said sounded right. I meant to, but I admit there were way probably more times I was saying that than I was actually praying for people that I told I would. And the Lord just convicted me on that big time. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, I know the answer is not to tell people I can't pray for them, right? Well, I'm really busy this week. I'd like to, but I just, I don't want to commit to anything. Can we just say maybe and put a pin in it, you know? You're like, what? What's this dude's deal, you know? No, that's not the answer. So one day I'm praying and I'm going through and I'm, you know, I'm trying to hit these things and it's almost like pressure, you know, like, am I getting them all? Who did I tell, you know? And all of a sudden I got to the end of, my, of myself and I was spent, I was done, but the time wasn't done. And I just began to pray in the spirit. My prayer language just started praying. And then all of a sudden the Lord just started popping faces up in my mind of all these people that I told I was going to pray for. And I'll tell you, I don't know everything that I was praying for them, but it was very effective. And when that time was over, as it has been every time to this day, I felt complete, fulfilled. I accomplished what God wanted me to accomplish in that prayer time, but it happens because I use my natural language and my prayer language in tandem back and forth. I got no problem telling you, I pray in tongues every day regularly, often, and it's incredible. It's amazing. And I feel like Paul, when I say, I hope I would like for everybody to do this because for me, it's not just a side dish. It's not just something we stay away from. It's, it's impacted me way too much. And I would just say it like this. I hope you can appreciate and be thankful for the fact that you have pastors and leaders who pray in the spirit because I promise you it's covering our congregation in an even greater measure because we do. That's to be celebrated, right? But sometimes when people are like, okay, I want this gift. You know, I want to see my prayer life go to another level. Again, the individual application, different than the corporate application. This is meant for you and your prayer life to take it to a new place. But I think sometimes when people are like, okay, I I want that. I'm open to that. They get this wrong idea 
like God's just going to come and take over their body. You know, okay, I'm ready, Lord. Whenever you want to do it. Right? And they're just like, like God's just going to like just take over their body and start moving their mouth and all of this. No. Let, let, let's look at the gifts of the Spirit, right? Let's talk about, let's say, the gift of healing. If God wants to bring healing in someone's body, and does, does God just like move that person out of their chair, move them, you know, levitate them and shift them over here and stand them and move their mouth to pray for this other person to be healed? No, we have to step out in faith. We have to partner with God. We have to believe He wants to and can heal them if we're going to see that happen. Would you agree? I mean, it just makes sense. When it comes to praying in, the, in tongues or in the Spirit, it's just like that. It's another one of the gifts. We have to pray, exercise faith, open our mouths and hook our tongue from our brain and trust that God's going to begin to pray and speak through us when we do. And it's amazing how when it happens, like sometimes it just comes out in a word or a syllable. It's like, there it is, right? Oh, oh. It's like it's just totally demystified after that. Yeah, I get it. I see it now. And then they continue to exercise that. Because much like a natural language starts in an infancy state and develops and becomes expansive and more fluent, a prayer language is like that as well. It starts many times as a word or a syllable, and then as we exercise it, it becomes more fluent and more expansive. I would say it like this. We develop a mature prayer language which is amazing. And then we begin to exercise that. Many people, I've seen this tons of times, they prayed in the Spirit one time when they were younger or little or years ago, and they got the gift, and, and it was awesome, but then it just stopped. They never continued to exercise it after that. Maybe they received it in a service or in a moment. It was really powerful, but then they failed to practice it in their own private prayer time after that. When the unction of the Holy Spirit bubbles up inside you, you just give expression to that and it comes out and it begins to grow and develop more and more beyond that. My son Dax, he's seven, he asked me a few months ago, he, you know how kids, they, they love to uh, save all their questions for bedtime, right Marcus? It's like, Dad, I got 25 questions for you now that you're tucking me into bed. It's like, oh, buddy, I, 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 I invented this, okay? You know, and, uh, and so, uh, but anyway, I'm tucking him in one night, and he's real serious. He's like, Dad, I've been thinking a lot about it. I want you to teach me how to pray in tongues. And obviously, there's an element to that that he doesn't totally understand yet. But I'm just telling you, what I identified with right there, what I located immediately, that faith of a little child that Jesus talks about, there is an eagerness, a willingness, a desire. And if I just explained it to him in a way he could understand, there's no doubt in my mind that God could give it to him right there because he's willing to receive it. Does that make sense? And give expression to that. And guys, that's often how it happens. Is Many times people just aren't yielding. They think God's going to take over their body or do something and it requires action and faith and trust on our part and the only way I can say it is once you do it, it, it doesn't seem as strange and mystifying as what it did before it's like oh yeah and that's awesome and it begins to take us to a new place so I wanted to close with this and I thought a lot about this um, I really did 
And I wanted to make sure to establish that what this is not meant to do ever is bring attention to an individual. If people become boastful in this or any other gift, then the blessing of God can come off of it. Okay, he resists the proud, gives, hum- gives grace to the humble. It just drives me crazy when you see people who feel like they're something more than everyone else because they have this gift. They just, they chest puffed up, badge of honor, like that's, that's garbage. You get that out of here, you know? But people get there. That's why Paul says, if you don't have love, then none of these matter anyway. It doesn't do you any good. There's the other side, which are people who maybe have wanted this or prayed for it. And I admit, I, I don't always understand like how God gives it with his timing and the ways that he does. I, I can't figure all that out. But they want it, they desire it. And for whatever reason, if they haven't received it yet, they begin to beat themselves up and feel like, what am I doing wrong? There's something wrong with me. And I don't want anybody to feel that way either, okay? But there's no place for boastfulness in this house. This is a place where we will be humble and we will give Jesus all the credit and honor and glory for anything and everything that happens here. No boasting. But I wanted to say that before I did this next thing that I thought a lot about. I really did. I prayed a lot about. And I'm good with it. I'm accountable for it. I get it. And so this one's on me. But I wanted to try to prove a point. So if you're here today, And you have ever in your life prayed in tongues, in the Holy Spirit, even if it was years ago, wherever you're at with it, if you know you have, would you just raise your hand? Now look around for a second. Now put your hands down. I just wanted you to see. It's not as mystical as some people make it out. It's better than half the room. It's a huge, huge contributor to an effective prayer life. But I will tell you, before we ask anybody that wants to receive that gift today to come down here and receive prayer for it, I will tell you this. I think the greatest hindrance to people receiving this, much like all of the deeper things of God, really, that have public expression in any way, I think the the greatest hindrance to people receiving this is the undercurrent of the fear of man. I'd really do. People are just afraid what other people are going to think about. Can I say this to you lovingly and genuinely? Who cares? Who cares? You're not standing before them in heaven. I mean, who cares what anyone else thinks of you? The Bible says, look, the things that the world considers wisdom, God calls them foolishness. 
The things that God calls wisdom, the knowledge of this world calls foolishness. It's backwards. I want to be on his side, not the other. Jeremiah says it this way, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, but blessed is the man who puts his full and total trust in the Lord his God. I don't care what anybody thinks about me except one person. And if he's proud of me and he's happy with me, then I'm okay with all the rest of that settles out. I really am. 